Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Today, we are gathered in memory of Moses. We are here to remember a son, a brother, a friend, a leader, servant of the Lord, and for everyone here, a prophet. We are here to celebrate the life of Moses, a life that wasn't always easy, but was definitely well-lived. We are here to mourn the loss of a good person, and we are here to comfort one another. Would you join me as we pray and invite the presence of God to dwell with us during this time? Dear God, we invite you here. Be with us. We ask for your comfort. We ask for your peace. We ask for your love. We ask for your strength. But mostly we ask for your presence. For in your presence we have faith, we have hope, and we have love. We invite you here because we need you today. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. The prophet Moses, born, Exodus chapter 2, died, Deuteronomy chapter 34. Let us remember his last days as we read from Deuteronomy 34. Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. Whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. It is right for us in memorial services like this to remember stories from the life of Moses whom we celebrate today. It is these stories that keep him alive in our minds and that's what we need to move forward Moses' life 
And 120 years can easily be divided into three segments. The first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the final 40 years. We should be so lucky to get to 120. I remember uh, being told the story of Moses' birth. Do you remember hearing about this baby that had been born in Egypt in the time where Pharaoh was just making these decrees that said, any Hebrew boy under the age of two, let's get rid of him. And the nerve of these Hebrew parents who had birthed Moses and knew full well that his life was in danger had to do something about it, but they put him in this this little basket, this ark, this thing that protected him and put him into the water and ultimately said, Lord, you protect him. You remember that story? There's an artist rendering that I found this week of someone who, who had been told the story and said, this, is, this might be what it looked like. Uh, we remember the stories of when he grew up as a prince in the land of Egypt as one of Pharaoh's sons, adopted sons. This is no doubt the moment when he learned to walk like an Egyptian. Do you remember the moment when he killed an Egyptian? We kind of gloss over those ones. And you're like, why are you bringing that up as his memorial service? But it's helpful to remember that there are people with past that God still uses. Right? Even marks on their past that many of us would say, that there's no possible way that God can use that. God can use a murderer? But interestingly enough, when he had murdered that Egyptian because he didn't know, it really was a crisis of identity moment for him. When it happened and he fled, he fled to the land of Midian. He had to get out of town and it's in the land of Midian, in the desert where God met him. And I think we remember some of those stories, but out there in Midian, he met and married Zipporah, I mean, with a wife like that name, I mean, come on, she's got to be beautiful. She's the daughter of Jethro, who was a priest in the land of Midian. And his father-in-law, Jethro, from then on forward, just like, you know what, Moses, I don't know what to do with you. I know you're trying to escape Egypt, but for this time period, how about you just go tend to my flocks? You should take them out and find something for them to eat, because as you can imagine in that world, we know that to be true, it's, it's a very arid environment. There's not much growth, but he had to tend to the flocks, make sure that they could go find something. And one of those days when he was tending the flocks, he came across something he had never seen before, a bush that did not burn up. And from that bush, there was a voice that called to him and called his name Moses, Moses. And he was changed from that point on. Because from then on, he knew what he was supposed to do, though he did not embrace it immediately. God said, I've heard the cries of my people who have been in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. I need you to go get them. And these stories that we've told from Moses' life help us to remember that God always hears his people's cries. He is not silent to them. Though there may be moments we think he is, but God hears what we say. He hears when we cry. Moses, trying to shirk the responsibility, was trying to get out of it at all costs, said, there's no way, but I love that his life said, okay, finally, I'll, I'll do it, God. And God said, well, what's in your hand, Moses? What do you have? Well, you got a staff. We've got a representation of what it might have been that day. And he said, Moses, I want you to lay this staff down. And there's a shepherd in that town that wouldn't lay his staff down for anything because in that staff is his identity, it's his income, and it's his influence. Everything about him 
is in that staff. And God says, put it down. And he lays it on the ground. And eventually God says, you can pick it back up. God says, your identity, your influence, and your income even come from me. Would you trust me with where I am taking you? I love these stories of Moses' life. We don't tell them often enough. Remember the 10 plagues where when he was back in Egypt and he was warning Pharaoh, hey, you better shape up and let our people ship out. Because if you don't, God is going to send a plague. And Pharaoh thinking, ha, 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 I'm the most powerful man all around. You don't tell me what to do with your God. But he had been warned. Moses told him again. And time and time again, there were plagues that were sent. And then finally, after the 10th plague, the plague on the firstborn, when all of the Hebrew people had marked their households with blood from the sacrificed lamb, knowing that their house was going to be safe when the angel of death came through all of Egypt, they got out of town. They took what they could. They had to rush. They had to go quickly. You don't waste time when God says, get out of town. They got out of town, and they headed toward the desert, they knew they could get out of from Egypt, but there was one thing in their way. It was that dang piece of water. What were they going to do with it? But I love this story too. The moment when, when Moses had heard from the Lord and said, hey, trust me, walk to the water's edge, raise your hand, and watch what I can do. And Moses probably thought to himself, this is a fool's errand. And he did it. And the waters parted. And the people walked through, and they got to the other side. When the Egyptians were chasing them, the water closed upon them. Because God needed his people to get out. And Moses was their leader. Remember the moments when they have wandered in the desert. We remember the moments where he even shared with Moses, Hey, I got you out of Egypt. I got you out of slavery. I'm going to make this a new way of life for you. And there's going to be some new rules not sure if you've ever laid rules down, whether it's in a household, if you work in an environment like we have these rules, this is where the box is, and God is inviting them into a place of freedom, but he says it's going to look differently than what you're used to. And so here are some Ten Commandments. Here are some rules for living, and when we hear even that phrase, to this day, we think, oh, God is out to punish. But God is in the business of giving life to his people and says it's going to start with the Ten Commandments. I bet there was even a time, I don't know if you've ever been guilty of this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Have you ever thought, I wonder if Moses ever had a chance to laugh with God? Did he ever chuckle? Was it all business, no play? What kind of a life did Moses have interacting in this relationship he had with Yahweh, this God, the rescuing God that he found out by the burning bush on that day? I want to say that Moses had to have laughed. Because not just the Ten Commandments, God also gave some other fun instructions for the people. Like Deuteronomy chapter 23. Like, check this one out. Designate a place outside the camp where you can go relieve yourself. As part of the equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. I feel like you can't give that one with a straight face. Moses must have chuckled a bit like, oh wow, God even cares about cleanliness and order. When Refuge ever has a family camp, we are going to print shirts that have Deuteronomy 23, verses 12 through 13 on them. 
It's going to be a subtle reminder of what you should do when you are camping with other people. Make sure that you don't leave your stuff everywhere. You can't say such laws with straight faces. Moses must have chuckled and like, good on you, God. I got you. But there was this one time, though, when God passed some instructions to the people through Moses, and it has utterly changed my week. It has utterly changed, I would even say, my year, and your year as well, because we're all in the same year. I don't care who you are. Someone's out there making a shirt saying, 2020, is it over yet? I don't know what it is about this, but this passage of instructions that God gave to Moses to give to the people has helped me get some perspective this week, and I need this passage this week. And so I just want to welcome you in to one more instructional moment that God had through his servant Moses, and this is what we find in Leviticus. No one reads Leviticus anymore. Many of you probably were up late last night reading it. I know you're the good Christians in the crowd. I get it. Most people don't read Leviticus, and I just want to remind you what happens in chapter 19. This is how it begins. Take note. The Lord also said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And he goes on just a few verses down in that chapter. It says, Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or be impartial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Those are cutting words in a society where you and I, we constantly make judgment calls based upon things. Whether it's the worth of someone in their bank account, how they present themselves, or we have used some other rhythm to say, you're in or you're out. And God is saying, that is not to be so with you. Verse 16 says, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Can, you, can we just pause there real quick? Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. I feel like in the last few weeks, my mailbox has been full of slanderous gossip. I don't know if you've gotten the same things I've gotten, but we're all out to make a case that the other person's bad and terrible. And God says something here that is really profound, and he says, do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. There's this even this phrase there that in some other translations, they'll use the word brother, among your brother. Now you're like, okay, cool, I'll just not spread slander among people who are related to me. But it goes further than that in the implication of the Hebrew language. It says it's actually like kin, right? Kin is, is, it could also be saying, oh, it's like family, okay, I'll give a pass to people who are related to me again. But kin comes from kind. What kind of people are around you? And actually, a bunch of humans are around you. And if God is saying to us, do not spread slander amongst people, that is a tall order. May we not be guilty of being the kinds of people who do the same thing. Verse 17 continues, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Again, that same word there. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. And finally, Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I've got to admit, like I'm, I'm a pastor, like I'm supposed to read this Bible a lot. 
I completely forgot that that phrase was in the Old Testament. I just took it as, that's some nice thing that Jesus said. But Jesus gets it from the Old Testament because he knows the power of the implications of what God had said to his servant Moses. Will you convey to my people that they are to love their neighbor as themselves? Yeah, Jesus says it. Jesus says it in a time where someone's trying to trick him in this little exposition that they have. Like, ah, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? What are you going to say? And Jesus is like, oh, actually, I'll give you the two greatest commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love the Lord. So there's a vertical positioning. I need to love God. But there's also a horizontal positioning. I need to love the people next to me. I need to love my neighbors. And then people have the nerve to say, well, who's my neighbor? And I, again, would go back to actually what God is getting at in this passage to Moses, what Jesus gets at when he's talking to his friend in that moment where they're having the altercation, like who's right? And then again, when Paul talks about it with such great length in Galatians, he is trying to convey something that says, oh, love your neighbor as yourself. How many times do we let ourselves off the hook because we know our intentions? We know perhaps the thought behind our actions where we don't ever give a person next to us the benefit of the doubt. They cut you off in the freeway and you have assigned them to hell very quickly. Or is this just me talking? You're like, well, that's not my neighbor. They don't live next to me. Okay, if you want to get technical about this. It's not exactly how the word works. It's more than that. It's people that you come in contact with. Because there are even ancient Old Testament rules that would say, even if a stranger comes into your midst, into your camp, you are to give them the red carpet. You are to warmly welcome them in. Because that is how God is setting up his kingdom. The way of the world will tell you, you have to pit yourself one against the other. You have to make someone else feel bad so that you feel good. This is a tactic that we learn all the way back at preschool. Not from our teachers. We just learned it really quickly that it, in order to get ahead, I need to make myself feel better. So I'll put someone else down. I'll steal their crayons. I'll take their scissors and watch what happens. But as we get older, we become junior high, high schoolers. We become college students. We become adults and we're still tempted to say, I am better than someone else because I judge myself with less harshness. And God is saying, oh, that's not to be with you. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, if you want to be a part of what I am trying to do in this world, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm telling you, these are cutting words into my soul because the temptation is for me to believe like, oh, that's, that's for other people to love me. That's not for me. Like, I don't need to do this job. But then I'm hit with that reminder of what did God start with when he talked to Moses that day? He says, hey, 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 remind the people, be holy because I am holy. What does that even mean? That's so esoterical at times. You're like, yeah, 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 God, you are holy. I don't even know what you're talking about. There's a concept of holiness that most people get. You're like, holy means like set apart. We get that one. You're like, okay, if I'm going to become a holy person, I'm going to set myself apart from things. And oftentimes there are good things to set ourselves apart from. I'm not sure if you've made these deals with God. You're like, hey, God, if you get me out of this jam, if you help me actually really like do well on this test I'm about to take, like I'll serve you. And like, how, how about this week? I won't, you know, whatever the deal is. Like we set ourselves, I'm going to set myself apart from things in life. 
or you have already found whatever age or stage you are in, you're like, there are certain things that just aren't good for my soul. And you're like, I want to set myself apart from that. So we understand that concept of holiness. But there's another aspect of holiness on the backside that we cannot forget. There's such a holiness to God that he says, I will not stop stepping in on behalf of my people. This is a holy, good God that will not forget his people, will not ignore their cries. So much so that he sends Moses. So much so, in a very similar way, he sends his own son hundreds and hundreds of years later. I'm going to fix this. I'm not going to stop engaging myself with my people. I will be that kind of holy God. And if he is saying to us, be holy like him, there are going to be times where we need to set ourselves apart. We need to do things differently than the world. But at the same time, there are moments for us as Christians and followers of the king that say, I cannot stop from stepping in to bring righteousness and justice and goodness into this world. So I don't just get to say, ah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket or whatever that phrase is that grandparents use. I want to step into this world and say, God, you have put me here for a reason. I may not get it right all the time, but I want to faithfully follow you, God. I want to bring your holiness into this mix. I want to bring your goodness and your justice wherever I go. Every school teacher in the room should say, that's where you bring it. You bring it to your classrooms. Every accountant in the room says, I bring it to the numbers that I crunch. You think I'm kidding. There are moments that I wonder if my brother, who's an accountant, has a holier job than I do. I'm hanging out with Christians all day. That guy, he's in the world. But he gets to represent God even in the numbers he crunches. What is it for you? We no longer get to look at our lives. I'm just checking in, clocking in, clocking out. God is saying, I'm giving you each an assignment. And you are bringing goodness to this world. You are bringing holiness. Don't just let this world know like, oh, because you're a Christian, you don't do X, Y, and Z. Bring to this world a reality that says, oh, because you're a Christian, you will bring righteousness and goodness and justice and faithfulness. Because if God says to his servant Moses, be holy like I am holy, That's the call for every single one of us. And when I hear this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, that has got to be one of the hardest things to do. Because every one of us has a moment where this week we have been offended. We have been turned off in an interaction with someone that says, I want to write you out of my book. I want to write you out of my life. I'm done with you. And the world will say, yeah, 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 do it. Unfriend them. Cancel them. This cancel culture idea that we have in our world right now is really depleting people of the way of the Lord. And for us, we get to tell a different story. So again, I don't know how you do this. It's going to look differently. I cannot give you eight steps to love your neighbor because I don't know who your neighbor is. I know who mine is, and I haven't done it well all the time. And again, it's not the person that lives next to me, across from me, whatever. It's the people that I go to school with, that I work with, that I buy Starbucks from, that I'm on the freeway with, that I'm in meetings with? How many of you have hoped that there would be a moment in that Zoom meeting that you're in that that person that bugs the living daylights out of you could turn their camera off? Better yet, just turn their camera off and their microphone. Because that's what we tend to do. We think, oh, the world says, get rid of them, write them off. And God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I feel like it doesn't even make the top 10. It doesn't make the 10 commandments. 
Yeah, there's things about not coveting and treating your neighbor differently, but there's this, this thing in Leviticus chapter 19 where God is saying, the holiness that I'm calling out of you will compel you to love your neighbor. Watch what the world will look like if we get this right this week. We're like nine days from a day where everyone's like, oh, it's going to be the most divisive day in our country's history. And the tendency is to say, I don't know if I can love the other side. I don't even know what your side is. We're not even going there. I encourage you to vote. You should do so. We have this freedom that many countries don't have. We get to weigh in on this. But let me make this extremely clear, and I will proclaim it again next Sunday. Even if your person doesn't win, that does not mean God lost. God will not lose on election day. I don't care who it is. He is bigger, and he is calling you and me into a reality that says, watch my kingdom come. When my people are armed with this righteousness that I give to them that says, make your neighbor your number one project. Oh, that's hard. Because I drive through neighborhoods and I see the same signs you do. My mailbox is full, just like yours. And I want to write them off because they're the other side. And God is compelling me yet again to say, hey, those thoughts that you had, guard your heart. Watch out. And remember those are my people too, Brenton. I don't just love you, which is a really hard one to get over because I assume that God loves me more, but it's not true. It's not true. He actually has this, like, this is, this is a hard concept for my kids to get. Well, like, well, who do you love more? And, like, my wife has this phrase with my son. Well, you're, like, our favorite son. And he's like, that means nothing to me. I'm your only son. You're like, well, you're all our favorite. We have this concept that says, I am not going to choose favorites in this household. The same thing is true with God. He's not choosing favorites because my guess is that God actually loves Republicans and Democrats. Ah, it's hard to say. I know. I know what you think. He probably even loves independents. <laughs> but he's not calling us into a political party. He's calling us in to his kingdom that says, you and me, we get to make his kingdom known. So it's good of us to have a memorial service for Moses because his life meant something. I want to leave with you one thought. Some people would say that Moses is a failure. He got to his 120 years, he made that one mistake, and everybody remembers that one mistake he did by the waters of Meribah. Sounds weird. You should look the story up today. If you haven't read chapter 6 of the story that we're kind of progressing through as a church, it tells it there. But at the waters of Meribah, Moses disobeyed. And God said, because of your disobedience, Moses, you do not get to see the promised land. And some people would say, oh, Moses is a failure because he didn't get to the promised land. But here's the thing. I don't think Moses was mad. Might have been disappointed Yes, he stood at Mount Nebo. It's a beautiful perch overlooking the Jordan River Valley. I got to be there with my dad in 2009 overlooking that portion of Israel. You can see Jericho in the distance, and you know beyond that place is where the promised land was being promised. But was Moses a failure? No, because the only promised land he needed was his relationship with God. 
That is what sustained him. So we have these moments where we say, is my life a failure? Am I good at anything? And God's like, hey, you probably have written something on your list, your bucket list, something that you want to achieve, something you want to accomplish. Maybe your bank account doesn't reflect what you would hope to be at in this stage of your life. But God is saying, do not let the world put these trappings on you that say, this is what success is. Because the only promised land that Moses needed was this relationship with God. It sustained him, it got him through, and it got him to this glorious place where he could see where God was taking him. I got him to there. And God, you use Joshua, you use Caleb, you use all those other people, you keep going. All I need right now, God, is you. And there are moments that me, I need that. I bet you do too. I bet there's moments where we feel so overwhelmed with where the world is right now. And God's like, hey, 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 don't think you got to get somewhere. Just remember that my relationship with you is what's more important. So this, this is the life of Moses that we celebrate on a day like today. This is good news for people like you and me in 2020. But it is hard news. It is challenging news. It will turn the world upside down. And interestingly enough, that's exactly what the world needs. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your servant Moses. We thank you for his life, and we thank you for even the beauty of celebrating him today in a sort of memorial service. Because it's good to be reminded of how you met with your people so long ago, how you challenged them and called them. But you didn't call them into anything more than just a relationship with you. And when we know our relationship with you is intact, we can actually understand how to function in this world. So God, I pray for every single person in this room, every person who's watching now or even into the future, that we would take stock of our relationship with you, that we would remember well that you continue to call us. You are asking us to make sure that we don't take too much seriousness when it comes to the accomplishments or the jobs or the titles or the bank accounts we have. You are asking us to lay down our identity, influence, and income and and asking us again to pick it up so that this world may know that there is a God who is alive and well, who has not forgotten his people. You are never in that business. You will rescue time and time again. For the person who needs rescuing this week from whatever ailment that presents themselves, from whatever hurdles that's before them, I pray that you go with them. Be with us because we need you. Oh God, you are amazing, you are wonderful, and you are awesome. Would you yet again speak to your people? Would you yet again invite us into your kingdom? And may we have the courage to trust you in loving our neighbor. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.